Hello everyone, this is Ken. I just wanted to make you aware of something real fast before the episode begins. We are part of the Christian Podcast Community, and every year the Christian Podcast Community puts together the awards for the best Christian podcast and the best Christian podcast episode. If you think that we might qualify for one of those, you just love our show, or there's a particular episode that was really meaningful or helpful for you thinking through some issue, if you would email the folks over there and nominate us, the email address is info at christianpodcastcommunity.org. Again, info at christianpodcastcommunity.org. Let them know which episode was particularly helpful. Let them know about our show. That would really help us out a lot and perhaps might get us some more exposure to other individuals who could benefit from the same content that you've been enjoying all this time. All right, without any further ado, on with the episode. Welcome to Theology where we keep doctrine in its place. This is not a hermeneutics episode. PTL. How about that, PTL? <laughs> that That's one of those things that actually used to get on my nerves a lot when people would say things like PTL. Third column issue, we'll talk about it later. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Speaking of <the laughs> third column issues, today we're going to be talking about a few things that have kind of been in the news lately and will continue to be in the news as... Just things kind of continue on and things continue to develop. Uh, we've had something that just has gone through the news cycles. It'll probably be forgotten before too long. So this is, we got to get this out before it is forgotten. But the whole Rittenhouse, uh, Kyle Rittenhouse trial, we wanted to talk through that with you. Also, how do we respond to people saying things like, um, I'm even almost uncomfortable even saying it, even just for the conversation, but let's go Brandon. How do, how do we think through that? Issues about the vaccines, the vaccine mandates from Joe Biden, and then everybody's favorite podcast that took the world by storm in terms of the podcast world, the rise and fall of Mars Hill. More about that after the music. Neither Bethel nor Hillsong meet the biblical definition of a true church. Did you know that Jesus was born again? Is his view heretical? If it isn't, then there's no such thing as heresy. It's not just a black and white issue. There's an issue, there's a question of moderation and how damaging and how harmful things are. Not every act of divine revelation is equal in authority. Angelic forces, angelic reinforcement. I mean, it's, it's hard to even respond to that, isn't it? It's, it's mind-numbing, it's blasphemous. When the apostles use the word atonement, they do not depict an angry God. It's cryptic. It's watered down. It has nothing to do with the judicial aspect of the Christian gospel. The most important of all doctrines is that the Bible is the word of God. They have different ideas than you do. You don't have to automatically kick them out of the kingdom. All right. Welcome back to Do Theology in this episode that breaks up our hermeneutics conversation just a little bit. Uh, before we get into these topics and tell you how we're going to be addressing those today... Uh, I wanted to share share a story with you, Ken, uh, to get your reactions in real time. Um, I, I always get nervous when you do stuff like this. Oh well, I try to do it every episode, so so I get nervous every episode. That's that's all. I <laughs> it's good for you. So um, I saw on Twitter this morning Nahum O'Brien. Nahum O'Brien. Does he pronounce it like an American or like someone who knows how to pronounce Nahum? But 
uh, he lives in Norway. He's a, a pastor over there, and he's the host of the Hermeneutics podcast. So while we're mentioning hermeneutics, give a shout out to the Hermeneutics podcast. He's got some great conversations over there with uh, people talking about Bible interpretation. But anyway, he shared, because he's in Norway, a video produced by the Norwegian Postal Service for Christmas. And uh, it's over two minutes long, I think, or is definitely over a minute and a half. So I don't know where this commercial is being shown in, in full. Maybe it's just for social media. And it's about a grown man who falls in love with Santa Claus. And uh, it's, it's a little confusing. It shows the man and Santa in developing a relationship in their once a year meetup where, uh, are you looking it up? Don't jump the gun. Stop it, Ken. You're ruining it. You're I'm not to, watching. I'm not watching anything, but you're seeing things uh, in seeing headlines that are ruining it. You're getting spoiler alerts. Stop it. So the man, um, year after year has these interactions with Santa and falls in love with Santa Claus. And he, I and mean, we're talking grown man, like 40 years old. And he ends up one year writing a, a card to Santa as a grown man, something that we have little kids do when we lie to them and tell them that Santa exists. There's now this 40-year-old man who is living a lie and writing a letter to Santa Claus. And he says, Dear Santa, all I want for Christmas is you, I believe. And he ends it with like a heart at the end. Like he's kind of like a four-year-old girl writing a valentine to santa i mean it's just a very weird thing and uh so he the christmas season's coming up he writes this letter and then he we jump to christmas day ish i guess and there's a ring at the doorbell and he opens it and there's someone from the norwegian postal service holding these wrapped christmas presents for him and behind him he turns around behind him is another grown man santa claus standing in his house which um, you know, for a lot of us, we instinctively grab a gun, but for him, he says, Oh, the love of my life. And it's like this really slow, drawn out, dramatic, romantic scene where they slowly embrace each other and kiss Santa kissing another grown man. And, uh, then at the end, the Norwegian postal service flexes their woke muscles by saying, you know, celebrating 50 years of being free to love whoever we want to love or something, because I don't know if that means gay marriage has been legal in Norway for 50 years now or whatever. And uh, it says, you know, from all of us to all of us or to all of us from all of us, Norwegian Postal Service, we're awesome. So that's what's going on in Norway. Isn't that exciting? I don't like this story. Yeah, it's a bad story. It's bad. Well, it just, it's just, yeah, it's Romans 1, you know. Uh, God giving them up to the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. A double creation because Santa is both a creation, also a creation of our own minds. He's imaginary. He doesn't exist. Yeah. 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 In your house, Christmas itself doesn't even exist, but that's a different story. But uh, and that and, and it's stories like that. That's the reasons why. <laughs> really? No. <laughs> How many stories like that have you heard? <laughs> well, uh, but yeah, count, uh, it's one. a it's a very 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 strange 
thing. And it, it also, I think, you know, not only is it obviously a reflection of what we see in Romans one, I think it's a preview of what America has. I mean, you can very easily see mm. United States postal service putting out an ad like that in one year. Now that precedent's been laid in Norway and Europe, uh, very thankful for guys like Mr. O'Brien who go into those dark places. Um, and the American Northeast would fall into that category these days and California, lots of places just turning into secular liberalism nonsense, total, utter nonsense. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of nonsense. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That actually provides for us a pretty reasonable segue. Yes. Um, I, I should also mention that today, right before we recorded, within the last hour, um, I was listening live to the Ahmad mm. Arbery uh, trial. The verdict was read out for the three men involved, all three men convicted of murder. And this is coming on the heels of the, or off the heels, on the heels, off the heels of the Rittenhouse trial and that verdict. Mm. So two big stories involving young people and guns and people dying. Uh, wow. And that's where we're going to start today. But Ken, you want to walk us through the, uh, the rules here for our, yeah. <laughs> what so we're going to try to do today. <laughs> this, this is a different format than, than what we've done before. And the reason is we actually want to talk about several things and you know us we can just kind of start rattling on and before you know it time goes by and and we don't get to what we want to get to so in order to help us with that we've got a little timer a little timer to help us we're going to give ourselves 10 minutes for each of these four topics that we're going to try to cover today and we're going to try to say everything that we want to say in those 10 minutes and when that timer goes off that's it. Okay. It's time to move on to the next topic. Even if there's just something else we just want to say. Yeah. Moving on. I mean, maybe and we'll then, show ourselves a little grace, like another, an extra yeah, minute. Maybe. 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 If it, it, you'll have to, you'll have to ask the, um, the timekeeper if, uh, if that's permissible. <laughs> Spirit of the law, not letter of the law. Well, and what we could say too, is that, you know, maybe we get through discussing something and we just didn't have enough time to talk about it in the depth that we wish we would, or the depth that you wish we would and so you can just write into us and say hey you were mm -hmm. you know just uh we were, we think it would be really helpful if you would continue to talk about this topic and and address this issue mm -hmm. maybe we can circle back around to that at another time yep so show at dotheology.com. you just want to keep that in the back of your mind and as we enter into these 10 minute sessions um we're each going to give our thoughts separately and then enter into an open field discussion. How much time should we, each of us have for just sharing our thoughts? 60 seconds, 90 seconds? Um, yeah, it, it's, I don't, I don't feel like I have a, a whole lot as far as opening statement. I think, I think don't, the most don't interesting exceed part, 90 seconds. How about that? Yeah, that's a good idea. Okay. Yeah. All right. So we're going to start with the uh, whole Rittenhouse situation and reviewing this through the lens of the chart, uh, thinking about how Christians should think through these things, process these things, weigh these things. Um, yeah. And do, do you want to, do you want to start with the Rittenhouse one with your opening statement or do you want me to start? I'll let you start with Rittenhouse. Okay. You can go ahead. Right. Yeah. Ready? Uh, I guess. Set. All right. Under the gun. Go. Whoop. Go. Uh, <laughs> all right. So, uh, I have to admit, I did not follow the Rittenhouse trial extremely closely. I know lots of people did. Um, I wasn't somebody who followed every detail. 
Now, what I do know is that there's a young man who identifies more with conservative politics. I have no idea where he is religiously or anything, um, who had family in Kenosha, I think lived in Kenosha at some point in his life, went down there for the rally to help clean up and protect the city. I think earlier that day, even before the shooting happened, he was helping clean up graffiti and things of that nature. So all of that, I think, is legit and good. He was carrying a gun while he was doing it. I think that's legit and good, uh, especially given the circumstances. If you're going to go down there and uh, try to protect and help in a situation like that, I think it's totally fine that you're carrying, whether that's a uh, something tiny like a, a 22 pistol or whether that's a bigger gun like he had. Um, so there's that. Now, what I don't know is uh, how wise it was for him to go down there. It appears as though it wasn't wise that the timing was bad on his end of things. His lawyer even said if he had to do it over again, he wouldn't go at that time. Uh, I think that's right. And though what he did appears to be self-defense, that's what the jury found. And I think that's agreeable. It probably wasn't the wisest thing for him to do. And I have more thoughts on guns after you give your statement. Okay, so you gave the basic um, the basic outline of what was going on there. Uh, we have to reflect a little bit on the background of these riots and why they're going on in the first place. Was the shooting of Jacob Blake uh, that was a factor in the midst of all of this, and you know. Really, this to me, this whole thing became a big proxy war. Th this wasn't about Kyle Rittenhouse. This wasn't about Jacob Blake. This wasn't about these issues on their own, isolated. This became a proxy war for the whole th issues that we've been dealing with as a nation for... I think uh, it's been in, in the uh, forefront of our minds going back four or five years or so, um, where it's really kind of come to a head in a lot of ways, a lot of various things, uh, shootings and different stuff that's gone on. And so this really, this, I think, captured the nation's attention because this is, was a, a proxy war for the agenda of the Black Lives Matter community, the, um, um, just the, that uh, agenda that's being pushed forward and trying to radically shape and change the United States of America with, with how we approach issues of race. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, let's so let's start with the background and analyzing that through the lens of the chart. What you were just bringing up the the rallies, especially last year. It's interesting we haven't had nearly as many of those mostly peaceful protests this year that you know leave cities in heaps of ashes. <laughs> um, how are we to understand those as we think biblically about them? I mean, what are just some basic bullet points? I, maybe not even, I mean, we, we don't have enough time in this format to get into the whole CRT discussion. Yeah. Um, I, I would say we both have resources on that in our personal ministries. We can give people, uh, in, info on that, but, but bullet points on the rallies and protests and all that themselves. Here's, here's, uh, so there are multiple things at play here. So the first thing that comes to my mind is Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs eighteen thirteen says, if one gives an answer before he hears it, it is his folly and shame. Mm -hmm. So if we're responding to something and reacting to things before we actually know what we're actually talking about, before we know the facts of the case, before we know the details of what actually went on, this is folly, this is foolishness, and it is to our own shame. Mm -hmm. 
just a few verses later in, in Proverbs 18, we see the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. So you might hear information. It might sound like a, oh, you know, something to get reacting to and all this stuff. But until someone comes along and examines him and kind of gives that cross-examination and provides that different perspective, you know, that this is why the, there's, when, the third column is about wisdom of the chart. The third column of the chart is about wisdom. And wisdom would say that, hey, we need to actually know what it is that we're talking about before we get into all the reactions. So how, so what are you linking that to? I'm uh, linking that to the, these cases. So I think in particular, the Jacob Blake um, case, the Jacob Blake case and the Rittenhouse case, where there's a lot of information or there's a lot of things that people are saying and labeling these individuals as where when the, ex, when the uh, evidence for the cases pre, uh, pushed forward, we see that those details just are inaccurate. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's reportings in, online that there's different, um, uh, articles online that are labeling uh, Kyle Rittenhouse in this particular way, like he's a mass shooter, and the details of the case reveal that that is not true. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's not right for us to jump to those conclusions. With Jacob Blake, there's reports about uh, you know how it was that he was first apprehended and how did it come to be that he was shot. Well, it turns out that he had a knife in his hand and was seeking to attack the police officer. So it's you know there's there's things like this where. Uh, if we don't know the details of the case and we're reacting, we are acting in foolishness. Yeah, there's definitely a narrative that's being pushed about these events that happen, and they are tragic events. We're not over here saying that these aren't tragic events, that these are just happenstance things or whatever. I mean, we understand when someone is killed, it is a tragedy, and we don't take pleasure in that no matter who's being killed, right? You, we shouldn't and, find pleasure in yeah. that. Um but there is a narrative being pushed, and when you approach a case like these that we've listed with a preconceived notion about what the narrative is, it really prevents you from hearing out reality. You, you're just not open to reality. All you're open to is whatever backs up the narrative that you've already agreed to. And you can see that, like I, the interview I was talking about a moment ago with Rittenhouse's lawyer, one of them, he was being interviewed by uh, Cuomo, uh, Chris Cuomo on Mm. CNN. And even after he was found not guilty, Cuomo is still pushing the narrative with the lawyer and saying, well, he didn't have to shoot him. Couldn't he have done this? Couldn't he have done that? And it's like, dude, what, what are you doing? It's just an Uber commitment to the narrative that doesn't allow you to embrace reality. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, somebody might push back and say, okay, you know, so you're saying we need to, you know, let, you know, let things play out through due process through the court systems and all this stuff. And we're saying, well, yeah, that, that would be a good thing to do. Let us let, let the details of the case yeah. actually come forward. But then there's a, a general mistrust for the court system and, and a, a general mistrust that things are going to be handled well. And I get that. I, 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 and, and, and there are, I think there's evidence to indicate that there are a lot of shady things that do go on in a lot of courtrooms. But in this courtroom in particular, like all the evidence was plainly available for everyone to see. And look at the Ahmad Arbery case that we just heard the verdict on. All three men convicted of multiple counts of murder each. And so yeah. to, to say a blanket statement that this is how courts are, it just isn't, it just isn't true. Yeah. Now, speaking from the other side... Um, how have you analyzed or thought through the way people are championing Kyle Rittenhouse? Uh, 
the Ann Coulter types of the world uh, who make posts, memes, etc., lifting up Rittenhouse. How do you analyze his role in the whole thing? Yeah, so again, it's a proxy war. Kyle Rittenhouse is nobody by himself. You know, it's it's just it, it, the circumstances, nothing, none of this, but it represents something larger, and a lot of people are lifting him up. And, and this was not just a victory. It's, it's not just being claimed as a victory of justice in this isolated incident, but it is being put forward as this great thing for the political right um, to to highlight and say, okay, you know, this was a great victory for, you know, either gun rights or, um, you know, I've even heard people say in a world full of Jacob Blake's be a Kyle Rittenhouse or stuff, mm. stuff like that. And it's like, mm. eh, like we, I do not think we should be do, going yeah. down those kinds of roads. I yeah. really do not. Cause I, I no, tell no, you what, no, no, you carry and I don't carry. True. And so we kind of have a different perspective. And for me, Rittenhouse going there with that with that gun, and, and I'm, I'm not someone who says, ooh, the bigger the gun, the scarier, or whatever. I know a little bit more about guns. But he is taking a, a very clearly, he's carrying, he's not concealing. Yeah. And it's a big, scary-looking gun, and he's going into that hornet's nest. To me, that's just not wise. I agree. I, I don't think he was acting in accordance with wisdom. I will say that once he was in that situation, it appears as though he acted with tremendous restraint and good judgment in terms of he wasn't just indiscriminately firing. It wasn't until he was actually attacked and knocked to the ground in, in one case that he actually turned and, and fired on somebody who was pointing a gun at him, you know, type of stuff. Right. So it's like, I think he acted with great restraint, but even so, he shouldn't have been in that situation. I think he was foolish. Woo. Yeah. That's hot. That hot is loud. <laughs> now, I've got more thoughts on guns and stuff wow that time goes by fast so we'll have to save that for another episode yeah uh but that segues us right into now we're talking about political things um and thinking through a critique of the conservative side of things let's go brandon let's talk about that phrase let's go brandon we can just start the clock okay so uh at a nascar event people were saying f joe biden uh and it was played off by the administration, I guess, or by the media. Well, people weren't really saying that. They were saying, let's go, Brandon. And so there was now, a broadcaster. A broadcaster was like, I think they're saying, let's go, Brandon, because a guy named Brandon just won the race or something like that. Yeah, I don't think a guy named Brandon won the race even. I think yeah. they were just, yeah. Anyway, uh, and so you've got the, the spin being, they were saying, let's go, Brandon, not F Joe Biden. And so now people have taken that phrase and they say, let's go, Brandon as a cover for what they really mean, which is F Joe Biden. And you have lots of Christians doing that. And that's our main concern is Christians doing this. And my opening thought on this is that it's wrong. Christians shouldn't do it. It's wrong for a variety of reasons. Um, Two main passages that come to mind are honor the emperor in Mm -hmm. first Peter two. That doesn't mean bow down and do whatever he wants. That doesn't mean uh, you know, leave your mind out of it and just, you know, be someone who just talks nicely about the president all the time in our context. I don't think that's what that means, but I do believe that passage applies. The other passage is in Ephesians where we're not to have any crude or coarse joking come out of our mouths. I think Ephesians four and even some in five, the end of four and then into chapter five. So I believe both those passages apply to this. 
Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Um, just to read that passage from Ephesians 4, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. <clears throat> you know, in, in, a, in a political environment where, you know, on our chart, I think we've got politics listed in that third column, I think. Uh, well, yep. if it's on the chart, it's in the third column. It <clears throat> is. Yep. Okay, yeah. Um, this is not a third column issue. Hmm. I don't believe. I think this is a clear violation of, of these biblical texts, the references that you cited there. And, uh, I do think it is, is sinful to be speaking of our president in such a way and to try to veil it and play it off as a joke, I think is, um, yeah, it, it just adds to the egregiousness of it. So there are two things that we can discuss uh, now in our back and forth session. One being how we honor our president mm-hmm. when we have very strong disagreements, when we think he's in sin and many of the things he does, how do we still honor him? And then the other being, what do we make of crude language, coarse language, crude joking? Okay. So um, starting off with honoring President Biden, even when we believe he is leading a devilish course. Um, he is guiding our country in satanic ways, uh, evil ways, ways that do not honor God. How are we to honor him as Christians? Um, the context of first Peter two might help us <laughs> Christians who were being persecuted, who were displaced, who were scattered because of their faith. Uh, Peter's telling them to honor the king. And so, of course, that's a, uh, a command that's bearing on all believers at all times, regardless of how good the leader is. But w- what are some practical ways that we actually honor our president? Yeah, so just real quick on the concept of honor, what does, what does it mean to honor someone? I think, I think we have to kind of talk about that a little bit. Um, I've heard this said, and I don't know if this is backed by any kind of uh, lexical study or anything, but um, I've heard it said that respect is earned, but honor is given. Have you ever heard that some, that uttered before? Uh, I've heard variations of that, if not that exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, the, you know, the concept of, you know, we're not we're respecting someone who is, you know, not respectable. You know, we might not have a lot of respect for Joe Biden, his policies, his, his uh, approach to things, but we're called to honor him and we're called to honor other leaders in, that are across our entire country who have similar or even worse positions on things than Joe Biden does. So the, I think the concept of honor is kind of gets it's, – it's reflected, I think, in how we talk about individuals, and which is how this whole conversation even just got started. Um, and when it comes to people in positions like Joe Biden, who we don't – we never have an opportunity to actually I- interact with him personally, I think how we talk about our leaders is the biggest way that we're going to be able to show honor as – just everyday citizens. Mm-hmm. There's probably some other ways that we, that we can show honor, um, but I think that's probably the biggest way. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't mean speak compliments that you don't mean or anything like that. It doesn't mean you ever have to agree with any decision he's ever made. It, yeah. You, you could disagree with every single decision <clears throat> and still honor him. Uh, Vody Bauckham gave an illustration once when he said, you know, people talk 
big game about yeah. presidents all the time uh, when they're at home. So think of people who hate Trump or now conservatives that hate Biden. But when that limo rolls up with those flags and all those policemen all around it and that president steps out of the limo, it's yes, Mr. President, no, Mr. President, you know, yep. uh, that's just the way it is. And so I, yeah, it would be interesting to see if these people would say, let's go Brandon, uh, to his face, which might be a sign of our culture that people would. True. Yeah. That's uh, I love that illustration from, from Vody. That was pretty fantastic, but it, it is, um, the, uh, the, the thing that I was about to say actually ties in right in with that, where one way that we can show honor is by calling him President Biden. Yeah. This is something that I had was very intentional about with, with President Obama, where a lot of people were you know, making jokes about uh, President Obama and you know, the thanks Obama things mm-hmm. and uh, all that sort of stuff. And the reality is, is that he was our president. So I was always very careful mm-hmm. to talk about him as President Obama, even though yeah. I strongly disagree with his platform, his policies, all these things. Guess what? I had to do the same thing with President Trump. Mm-hmm. And I have and a lot of problems with President Trump. There are a lot know? of pastors who don't like to be called pastor, fill in the blank, first name or last name. But there are some people who insist on it. And that might be part mm-hmm. of it is it helps yeah. them to recognize that position. Well, as we speak of things that come out of our mouths, we also need to talk about this coarse language, crude joking stuff. Someone might point at the chart and say, well, look, personality is in the third column. It's just part of my personality. You've seen the the t-shirt or whatever. I, I love Jesus, but I cuss a little or whatever. And we're saying, now, wait a second. The first column, first and second columns limit your freedom in the third column. Mm-hmm. And this is one of those areas you yeah. are not allowed to cuss a little, right? Yeah. Biblically. Let and, him, yep. it, and it's tough because language evolves, language changes. What's crude today perhaps wasn't even a word years ago, wasn't crude years ago. Uh, the phrase, let's go, Brandon, doesn't contain any cuss words, right? right? But we recognize that the culture's perception has a bearing on this. Mm-hmm. What the culture has, as a culture, what, what they've determined, mean, words mean, that's what words mean. And then when you go and interact with that culture and you have those words come out of your mouth, well, now you're engaging in something that's crude and coarse as your culture has determined. And so you are to seek to avoid those things because Christians are to be above that. And I would also say, as a Christian, you are to be one of the most intelligent people in your society, uh, as much as you can with what God's given you, <laughs> you're supposed to be someone who pursues harmony. And when you engage in this barbaric monkey throwing his own feces type of discourse of just throwing out crude things without any kind of logic or reasoning or real argumentation, you have now stooped to the world's level and you've become dishonorable and disgraceful. Mm. I'll mm. leave the last minute up to you. Well, I just thought of an illustration of a youth group. Uh, There was a kid in youth group uh, years ago um, when I was in high school who would, he would never flip somebody off using the middle finger, but he would do this. Oh, which, read between the lines. Yeah. yeah uh-huh. For for people who aren't watching the video, he was holding up three fingers and, you know, yeah, read between the lines. And we, we all knew what he meant. And 
it's the same thing. Like it's it's like you can you can veil things and you can try to code your message, but when we all know what you mean, yeah, that that sort of uh, activity or uh, speech is not appropriate for believers. So, yeah, don't do that. And don't say, well, it's my freedom. Uh, we have 10 seconds yeah. left. Did you see the video of John Haggy's church shouting, let's go, Brandon, in church? I did not. No, it happened. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. maybe you can insert a little clip of that here. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> there it is. Hey, everyone. Ken jumping in here once again with some post-episode fact-checking. So the, uh, the the chant of let's go, Brandon, in John Hagee's church, it was not during a church service or any church-sponsored events. An outside group was renting the building at the time, and the church has sought to distance themselves from those events. Just wanted to make that clear. We still do not uh, endorse the practice of shouting, let's go, Brandon, by anyone, um, but we wanted to make it clear that it was not the church itself engaging in that activity, and they have sought to distance themselves from it. Back to the episode. Next is vaccine mandates. Can we figure out the Christian position, uh, the biblical position on vaccine mandates in 10 minutes? Here we go. No. (laughs) You open up for this one. I don't want to. Okay. So this this conversation has really started because of the whole COVID-19 vaccine mandate, the the executive order that was issued by President Biden and uh, all employee, all employers who have 100 or more employees are now being required um, to either all of their employees have to be vaccinated or unvaccinated employees have to produce a negative test on at least a weekly basis. Now, that's where things stand today. There's a good chance that those mandates are going to grow and increase. I think we're seeing this in other nations, people talking about it in other places. And I think this goes into effect uh, January 4th here. Um, and I think you've got your choice of which of the COVID vaccines you, you're to get. Uh, but how are we to think through how Christian responds <laughs> to these things? That's, I think that's the, that's the most challenging part that we're all facing. 30 seconds to share your view. Uh, is that what we're doing? Do it. <laughs> So, where possible, it should be resisted. There are ethical concerns regarding the uh, the origin of these vaccines with, when it comes to um, abortion, um, abortive fetal cells included in their in the cocktail. Um, and where possible, we need to. I think society we should be rising up to facing uh, speaking against this. All right, our society should rise up against it. Oh, pretty strong. Yeah, I I think I agree. Um, uh, yeah, I agree. So there are three main reasons why someone would reject the vaccine. Um, there's the health reason. Someone may look at it and say, that's not good for my health. And there are studies that could back that up, depending on the point you're making. Another reason uh, would be the ethical reason, how the vaccines were produced. And we'll talk about that more in a moment. And also the principled reason that the government has no right to mandate Mm -hmm. what I inject in my body at the cost of me losing my job or or whatever the ramifications may be. And we're not far from people being put into camps like in Australia or people um, being imprisoned or whatever. So there are those three levels 
where someone could reasonably object to the vaccine. I imagine most people have a combination of those levels in their reasoning Mm -hmm. and that most people think these vaccine mandates are a bad idea. I totally agree. I think it's unconstitutional. I think it's unlawful. I think it's sinful to mandate what someone puts in his or her body. We do have personal health care decisions in the third column on the chart. I think that is a biblical position that can be defended. So uh, let's jump into our open discussion with whatever you think we should talk about first, Kenny. Let's let's work through those three objections that someone might have to to uh, this whole thing. Um, the first one you mentioned is health. Yeah. Let's talk about that a little bit. There, what, there what, have been people who have gotten the vaccine, in fact, professional athletes even, who have gotten the vaccine and have had adverse health effects from the vaccine because of some of the things that are in the vaccine with proteins and uh, that mRNA stuff and all, mm-hmm. all of that, which I'm not really schooled on. I just know that the general categories at play. And if professional health athletes are having adverse health effects and Eric Clapton, he got the vaccine and like lost the use of his hands for a while. He was pretty vocal about that before he got... Um, silenced. So, so if, if that's happening to professional athletes and other people and it's being talked about, that can be kind of scary. Yeah. There's no long-term safety data, mm-hmm. right? We've, we have, this, this is a, mRNA vaccines are a brand new technology that we really don't have any idea of how this is actually going to impact our bodies, uh, this generation, or even on, you know, how it impacts, um, reproductive issues for the next generation, et cetera. Uh, we just don't have this kind of data to go off of, and we're mandating a vaccine. This is a society-wide experiment. Yeah, it really and is. That, and that makes a lot of people understandably uncomfortable, including me. <laughs> Not having the long-term data that is a turnoff for, it should be a turnoff for a lot of people. And, and in my personal opinion, at on that level, I've decided not to get vaccinated especially because I've already had it. Um, Mm -hmm. I have natural immunity. I have antibodies. So uh, I've deemed it unwise for myself. And someone in my position might deem it wise to get it. And when you're talking about the health level uh, stuff, uh, that level that we're discussing, we can't say they're right or wrong. What about the uh, ethical level? You've You've got a chart you found that talks about which vaccines were made from aborted fetal cells, right? Yes. So the concern is, and this, this is an interesting, uh, hmm, rabbit hole that you can get lost in, uh, if you're, if you're not careful as you research vaccines, this doesn't apply just to the COVID vaccines. This actually, there's a lot of many of the vaccines that, um, people give their children, uh, it contains aborted fetal cell, uh, cell lines, et cetera. And there's a lot of conflicting information about what that actually means. Um, so I don't know if we have time to go through all of that, but I do have uh, a chart. It's I would share it on the screen, except it's rather unwieldy because it doesn't include just the the vaccines. We only that have are four minutes left, Ken. In America, but they also include vaccines that are used globally. And tick, um, tick, the tick, tick, you are slowing me down by doing that. So <laughs> stop it. <laughs> the Moderna and uh, Pfizer shots did not use vaccine did not use aborted uh, fetal tissue for development or for production but did use aborted fetal cell lines in some confirmatory lab tests whereas the Johnson and Johnson vaccine used aborted fetal tissue 
in or abortive fetal cells in both design and development and production and confirmatory lab tests. So this is the argument that a lot of people have against vaccines generally, because outside of COVID vaccines, there are a lot of vaccines that are developed with the use of aborted fetal cells, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, that's a pretty standard Christian anti-vax argument. So, um, it's a huge ethical issue because these, these vaccines don't have to be cultured or developed in this manner. They can use other cells. Hmm. They're choosing to use these cells. Yeah. And so you have to think through, you have to take that data and think through, okay, if they were testing the vaccine on aborted tissue, does that, does that matter to you? If it was developed with aborted tissues, that probably should have some sort of bearing on the way you view that. So a difficult one, but there, you know, conceivably there's a Christian who makes it through those first two levels and says, okay, yeah, I'm okay with the health risk. I think I can make it. And the Pfizer and Moderna, I know they did the testing with the aborted tissues, but they didn't develop the vaccine out of it. And so produced with it. Right. And so I'm okay on that level. Now, what about the, the principle of government, uh, what the government can force their citizens to do or not to do with the threat of taking away their employment and, you know, perhaps other rights. Um, this is for me, probably the biggest issue. Um, you know, I would see myself as maybe making it through those first two levels based on the reasoning I just threw out there quickly. Um, knowing that there'd be more study for me to do, but boy, the government mandating what you inject in your body, that's, uh, it's hard to see how that's okay. Yeah. Cause it's not just, it, it's, it's uh, the, the argument's always been, Oh, it's this today. Well, what, are, what is it tomorrow? Mm-hmm. You know? And, and we're not, we are not saying that, uh, that this is the mark of the beast. Yeah. Good clarification. Okay. Yes. <laughs> right. The vaccine is not the mark of the beast. <laughs> yeah. We're pre-tribbers. So we, we won't be here when yeah. that vaccine comes out. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there is a reality that for a government to mandate that, that your employees do this. And then we're, what we're seeing in other countries, limiting you from being able to enter a grocery store or, uh, to just conduct business in d- these different areas. Uh, it's, it is absurd it is absolutely absurd, especially for a disease that is a real disease and uh, is t- has taken lives. And I don't make light of that. I, I personally know individuals and family members who have passed from uh, from COVID, but it's still an illness that has, you know, the the um, recovery rate is what what are we at? Like ninety eight percent or something of that nature. Much higher than um, that, I think ninety nine point something. Yeah, so it's it's not going to kill the majority of people who end up getting infected with it. It does seem um, like there's an ulterior motive by the powers that be with this yeah. vaccine, using it mm-hmm. for something other than public health. Yes, and that's a concern, and it should be. And so mm-hmm. where where we are able to, we ought to try to resist such tyranny. Yes, indeed. But without... We'll without, never know what he was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> without succumbing to phrases like, let's go, Brandon. Oh, very, very good. Yeah. All right. And finally, <laughs> wow, that's a pretty intense episode. Uh, the rise and fall of Mars Hill. You want to give your opening 90 seconds? You've been On listening mark, to that. Get set. Go. I have been listening to it. I've listened to every episode 
pretty much the day or the day after it comes out. I've been pretty well out on top of it because it is just absolutely fascinating to me, engaging. If you're not familiar, The Rise and Fall of Marcel is a journalism-style podcast produced by Christianity Today, detailing mm, The Rise and Fall of Marcel. Uh, uh, Mark Driscoll, as he has gained popularity, and then how things all fell apart and the aftermath of all of that. Um Net positive, I think, uh, to understand and to listen to that and to hear about some of the issues that have gone on. There is certainly a particular slant that gets presented through the episodes uh, as far as uh, the host presenting things. I think he's a little more egalitarian uh, from his, from a perspective of um, men and women's roles than, uh, than we would be. Uh, so there's that issue and just uh, overall, you know— um, approach that direction. But I think hearing some of these stories and knowing some of the background and the ins and outs of of what was going on is helpful for the church as we think through how, what, what biblical leadership ought to look like and what it should not look like. So yeah, I yield my time. (laughs) (laughs) So I, uh, well, I got saved in 2006 and in probably 2007, I started listening to Mark Driscoll. I listened to him quite a bit for the first four or five years after I initially heard him and uh, was aware of my disagreements with him on a variety of issues, doctrinally or otherwise. But was a, he was a very engaging speaker, and I just I liked him. Uh, just thought he was great to listen to, and he was like a, a friend uh, who preached to me. And um, it was pretty tragic when everything fell apart there in Seattle. Um, and the stuff that's come out since then, it's like, okay, yep, that's, that's objectively bad. <laughs> and what, what he did was wrong. The podcast, I haven't been keeping up with like day it comes out or day after it comes out. I haven't subscribed to it. So I just check it every now and then to see if there's a new episode. Their last one that was over two hours. I'm actually going to re-listen to because I found that one to be really helpful. There's a lot of information in that one. I struggle with how much of it is um, okay for us to listen to and how much is gossip, Uh, how much Mm. is being, I mean, is it good for us to be hearing all this, especially when Driscoll's still alive? I think that kind of confuses things too. Like uh, he's just, he's right there, you know, and uh, he's still involved in the Christian scene. So I I don't know. That hasn't stopped me, but it is something that goes through my mind. Yeah, I do think that that can be that is a concern. In fact, I uh, I was listening to a different podcast talk about things, and that was one of the concerns that they had raised. Was it's just like, okay, why why are we talking about this guy like this? But the reality is, is the things that Mark Driscoll has done leaves him objectively disqualified for ministry. Yep. Would you agree with that? Uh, yes. Um, though I wouldn't say like forever, I, I think there could be a restoration process, but since if, he is, yeah. he's refused that, then he is in a current yeah. disqualified state. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So he has, he has refused and, and um, they talk about that as well, about how he is uh, in, in the, in the podcast, talk about how he has refused the restoration process that the, that the elders of Mars Hill presented to him and he decided to resign instead. Um, so, the fact that he is a, a, a is currently, we would argue, currently disqualified from serving in a place, uh, place of leadership within our local church, and yet he currently leads a church, and there are many people who are following him and many people who are 
trapped in uh, the, the same cycles that have, that were existing in Mars Hill are happening at his current church in um, wherever it is in Arizona, Phoenix. Some Phoenix yeah. yeah the, the Julie Roy's articles that have come out, um, yeah. which is another thing. It's like these sources that are sharing things, Christianity Today and Julie Roy's. I mean, what are it feels weird supporting them when we're yep. engaging with their content. Now, that's not to say they can't report something that's correct or accurate, mm-hmm. but you do have to take into account the messenger, not just the message. You do. You do. And, um, cause Julie Rose has been putting out a bunch of stuff on James McDonald too. Yeah. They've had a big feud where he's another one where like, okay, objectively in the wrong, but the one who's been put like leading the charge on these things is someone that we also is, we also would say is objectively in the wrong on other yeah. issues. And we would look at with with uh, suspicion with some of the details that are reported. Right. Um, I'm I don't make a habit of reading Julie Royce articles. In fact, I try to avoid those when I can. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's it's an interesting dynamic uh, where it's it's good for the church to be aware when there are wolves among us. Now, is, is Mark Driscoll an all-out wolf? Uh, depending, I guess it depends on what you b- believe about some of the accusations that were made against him, uh, and and how serious you weight those things. But man, I don't know. I I, I just the, with even with all the issues that are at play in, in that make us that might make us a little bit uncomfortable with the potential for gossip, with the uh, slant that's presented even through uh, the reporting, even with all those issues. I think it is good and helpful for a discerning listener if, if they wanted to listen to that podcast. Yeah. It's a net positive. I think it's a net positive. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, the story is told well. Um, mm. I mean, there's it's good. Like he, Mike Cosper, who's the host, he calls it long form journalism and creative storytelling, which I think is fair. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are things to learn from it. I think we, we have to check our motivations. If we're yes. listening to hear, well, what juicy things were happening behind the scenes, that's not good. And for yeah. me, it's hard not to think that way when you listen to it. Hmm. Um, it's, I think it's hard to escape that where you're like, I, I want to know more details about what happened when it might not be for you to know, right? I mean, wh- why, why do you need to know that? Uh, that's that's something I struggle with a little bit. Now, again, like I said at the start, it hasn't stopped me from listening. <laughs> and I don't know, maybe I should stop listening. I, mean, I know there's only like one episode left or whatever, but I, I don't know. Have you wrestled through that very much? I mean, it's so I, I think the issue of motivation, I think, is a big thing. Um, you know, if if you need to guard your heart, you need to guard your heart. And I think the, the, the principles that we started out with uh, this whole episode, going back to the Rittenhouse thing from Proverbs 18, comes into play. You know, the first to present a matter seems right until another comes along and examines him. Uh, but so much of what happened at Mars Hill, and because of the way Mark Driscoll built up his ministry and how public and, with everything that he was, and how he took things public himself when things weren't going as he wished they would in a variety of areas, 
I haven't had as much of an issue with the fact that a lot of this is coming out publicly when so much of the problems were already made public. And Mark Mm -hmm. Driscoll was seeking to establish the narrative on his own account. And in some ways, many aspects of this podcast feel like it's, you know, we're setting the record straight here. Here's what actually, this is how this actually unfolded and went down. And they do it in a way that, obviously, again, I'm acknowledging the slant, but the the uh, the sources that they have and the audio that they're playing yeah. back is pretty uh, it seems to be pretty objectively like okay yeah this is how this went down it, it's awkward for me i guess that driscoll isn't defending himself that he isn't involved telling his side of things um, yeah now they can't make him talk and i know he's been offered to talk i'm sure several podcasts have reached out to him like hey you want to <laughs> react on our podcast because that would get the downloads but uh he, he's chosen not to do that and it is similar to a court trial. Like uh, we're talking about these trials. I mean, he's on trial and it's like he's pleading the fifth almost and yeah. letting it happen. The, the court of public is, opinion. Right. Yeah. The difference is it's the court of public opinion and that this does this trial doesn't have to be happening before all of us. It doesn't yeah. have to be. It was dealt with. And, and this is the problem with celebrity Christianity. We're dealing with a mega scale instead of local churches being true local churches. Local churches have developed into this performance atmosphere they become like sports teams and so it becomes this huge public thing instead of being a true local church and uh, boy that just creates all kinds of problems not just while it's happening but in the aftermath true if you want to listen to a a positive journalism style podcast about the life of a preacher who is also still alive which makes it a little bit weird as well but um the MacArthur Center for Expository Preaching is producing the Expositor podcast, the story of how John MacArthur became the world's premier expository preacher. Mm-hmm. And that's been really fascinating to listen to. So I, I would say listen to that first, perhaps. <laughs> but with the same care in that. Yes. Here comes the ding. Got it. Oh, okay. Uh, in the same way in that while we're not trying to bash Driscoll's brains out without him being able to talk. We don't want to like, worship. Be, I shouldn't say being able to talk <laughs> with, with, while he's refusing to defend himself. Cause that's, yeah. I think he, uh, we also don't want to lift up MacArthur and put him on a, a plat platform, which I think a lot of people have done and it's incredibly unhealthy because yeah. as soon as he has a public failing, yikes. Yeah. Well, hopefully, Ooh. Hopefully the Lord would take him home before that would happen, I think. Uh, I think I could feel safe saying that. Potentially. Um, something could come yeah. out after he dies. I mean, that's, that's true, true for all of us. We have to embrace that That happened aspect. with, yeah, that happened with Ravi, uh, Zacharias. Yep. So, yeah. Okay. Yep. Uh, well, that was fun, Kenny. Yeah. You, uh, you go by Ken. The second N is silent. I suppose. <laughs> I've been wanting to say that for a long time. When, when, as you were growing up, and your name's Kenneth, your family called you Kenny, at some point you made the decision to go by Ken with two N's. Can you walk me through how a guy goes there in his brain? You want the story? Okay. Okay, so... <laughs> this happened while I was at Calvary. Oh. When I showed up to Calvary, I was still Kenny. Um, there were mercy... There, and grace was free. At Calvary. Oh, yeah. There you go. Calvary Mercy Bible College. Great. Mercy and there. Grace yeah. is free. Pardon Calvary, me. Calvary Bible College and Theological Seminary Multiply. in Kansas City, Missouri. So, in high school, at the, in my senior year of high school, I became aware of an issue where sometimes 
when I would introduce myself, say, hey, my name is Kenny, I would either, I wasn't enunciating clearly or I would say it too fast or something and people were like, oh, did you say Penny? And they were like confused why, why I would say my name is Penny because I'm a dude and not a girl. Uh, and that just annoyed me to no end that people thought I was saying Penny instead of Kenny. So I never had a problem being called Kenny. Uh, my family still calls me Kenny. Don't have a problem with that. Um, but I didn't want people to accidentally hear Penny anymore. So I decided, okay, I'll just, I'll just say Ken instead of, uh, instead, instead <laughs> of Kenny. But then the issue is things oh, like the, uh, uh, the Ken Barbie doll, which I got, I did get teased with that as a, as a kid growing up. Um, and wanting to be different from all the other millions of Kens in the world because, hey, I'm an individual out here and such and blah, 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 blah. So I decided to use two Ns, and hey, it's stuck with me ever since, and it's those two Ns have served me well. <laughs> that was a long story, but quite well told. <sighs> wow, so, there your troubles, yeah. troubled soul found liberty at Calvary. Yeah, for a period of my life, there was a... <laughs> A third of people who called still me Kenny, to him. a third of people who called me Ken, and a third of the people that I knew that called me Kenneth. So, huh? Yeah, interesting. The man with three names, and yet, not one of them is Ken. Of one, the, not not Ken in the traditional sense in any of them. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I Ken, wish people compared me to Ken Ken dolls. Like, it's positive for oh, she looks like a Barbie. Oh, that's positive. If I look like a Ken, hey, I'm a knockout, right? Yeah, except the Ken Barbie doll is quite uh, effeminate. <laughs> he's smooth like Jacob. Yeah, you know, he's mm. not fuzzy like Esau. I think there's a little fruit in his tank. I don't know. He's there's a little more there than just smoothness. Wow. In the next episode of Do Theology, <laughs> Barbie's sham marriage. <laughs> Wow. All right. Well, <laughs> we'll be back to hermeneutics sometime soon. Boy, this is the danger of going topical with our uh, episodes. No, this is this was good. Um, helpful to talk through these things. Hopefully it helped you. Any feedback you have, find us on Facebook, find us on Twitter, email us at show at dotheology.com. And until next time, do... Theology. All right. What a what a show. What a show.